Alrighty. Hello and welcome to another episode of Protecting Patients, Preventing Harm. My name is Jasmine Saluja, and this is the third episode of my capstone podcast for my project, Protect to Prevent on Medical Malpractice. With me today, I have Ms. Jan Cribs. Jan Cribs has been a midwife for 40 years and worked clinically in settings ranging from public health clinics to academic medical centers. She retired from clinical practice in 2015 as an assistant professor and director of the midwifery division at the University of Maryland Medical System. She currently teaches at the Thomas Jefferson University midwifery program. Today's episode will cover Ms. Cribs' background as a healthcare professional, her perspective on medical malpractice, and some advice on what we can do to protect ourselves. Firstly, I wanted to give you a big thank you, Ms. Cribs, for interviewing with me today. I'm confident that we can learn from you and also make a positive impact on our communities. Thank you for all the hard work you have done as a healthcare professional and for the work you are doing now to help spread awareness about this epidemic. Alrighty, first question. Can you give some background on your career? What pushed you in the direction of becoming a midwife, your education process and practices? So it began with two things, and one was my mother's death from breast cancer, mm-hmm. which at that time was a fairly long and painful type of death, and then having my own children. And we, I had good care, she had good care, but it felt like there was something that should have been different. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I had options and considering what was feasible as someone with a hardworking husband and two small children, <laughs> um, the quickest path in was nursing. Okay. Um, and about halfway through nursing school, one of my instructors sat me down and said, if you really want women's health, you need to do midwifery. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay. Interesting. <laughs> and then a year later, we moved to New Haven for my husband's graduate school, mm-hmm. and there was a midwifery program right next door. Perfect. <laughs> um, yeah, it was. It, it was wonderful. Um, it's important to understand that there are two branches of midwifery in the United States. Mm-hmm. The one to which I belong is midwives who are certified by the American Midwifery Certification Board. Um, and some of us are nurses, some of us are direct entry, mm-hmm. but we have equivalent scope of practice, standard of practice. Mm-hmm. Um, there's really no difference. The students pass the same board exam. Mm-hmm. The other branch of midwifery is what's called a certified professional midwife. And I know these titles get confusing. <laughs> CPMs focus on normal birth, mm-hmm. um, low risk normal birth, mm-hmm. and most often practice outside of a hospital. So, like so private clinics. And- they don't prescribe, we do. Mm-hmm. Um, they don't do lifespan care. CNMs and CMs do. Mm-hmm. Um, but the core is the same. It, it's a philosophy of care. Mm-hmm. Um, so I worked public health. I worked private practice. I had the good fortune to fall into what I would call my dream job at the University of Maryland. It's wonderful. So I could combine teaching midwives and medical students and residents mm-hmm. along with clinical work that I cared passionately about. It's amazing. Um, it's wonderful that you had the opportunity to it do all fun. that. <laughs> it sounds like fun. <laughs> um, alrighty. 
Regarding midwifery, what are some of the differences in how cases are treated slash conducted compared to other cases such as with surgeons or family physicians, for example? Well, one of the important things to understand about midwives is that we are not surgeons. Mm -hmm. So if the woman I am caring for needs a cesarean birth, my colleague is going to do that surgery. Mm -hmm. um, if I wanted to be a surgeon, I would have gone to medical school. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I didn't want to do that. Um, within the scope of practice of midwifery and medicine, the scope overlaps. Mm -hmm. um, there are many things we do. Within that scope, the minimum standard of care is identical. Mm -hmm. What's different, sometimes I talk about it as um, looking through two different lenses at the same problem. Mm -hmm. Physicians, and I am very grateful that they are, are educated to diagnose and treat what's wrong. Mm -hmm. And while many physicians do wellness work, the core of their education goes towards fixing. Yeah. Midwifery looks at the same tasks from a perspective of how do I promote and keep health. Yeah. So we tend to be less interventive. Mm -hmm. um, we talk about it as the appropriate use of technology. My physician colleagues might take issue with it, <laughs> but that's okay. <laughs> Um, so part of it is just philosophy and style of care. Mm -hmm. The bottom line is we are all obligated in women's health care to meet the same core standard of care. Mm -hmm. It should not make a difference. And that applies not just for midwifery or for medical degrees, but even in the pre-hospital setting with paramedics and emergency medical technicians. It's the same Absolutely. when it comes to the healthcare field and the medical field. The treatment of patients has that some... Within your scope of practice, mm -hmm. you have the same obligations. Yes. Now, an EMT has different training mm -hmm. than an OB nurse or a midwife or an obstetrician. Yeah. And yes, we did have EMTs through the unit. So, you know, but, <laughs> but the bottom line is, if it is something you know how to do, you have to do it right. Yes, for sure. Um, what is it... Oh, sorry. What is a medical error and why isn't every medical error malpractice? What makes the difference? Um, any act, either of commission or omission, that leads to an incorrect decision or action is a medical error. Mm -hmm. Now, some of those don't cause any harm at all. Obviously, others may lead to a delay in diagnosis or treatment, mm -hmm. the wrong plan of care, even an adverse outcome of a birth. Um, for example, we give pregnant women multivitamins. Yes. If someone forgets to re-prescribe the multivitamin when she goes from the birth to postpartum, mm -hmm. technically that's a medical error, but it doesn't. Most really people in the United effect. States don't really need supplemental vitamins. Mm -hmm. It's insurance, <laughs> mm. but. I mean, say a computer breaks down and so I can't receive results. Well, there may be a delay, but it's not anybody's fault. Yeah. Um, and as long as the delay doesn't cause harm, then it's a near miss. It's an error that does not have a lasting harm. Mm -hmm. Now, there are studies out there, and they've been updated over the years, 
talking about medical error as a leading cause of death in the United States. Mm -hmm. And there are some questions about the quality or, or effect of those studies because medical errors don't show up on death certificates. Mm -hmm. You have an immediate cause of death, an underlying cause of death. It would be rare to see one of the other contributing factors be written as mm -hmm. substandard medical care. It just, mm -hmm. It's just, it's just well, and the person filling out the form doesn't necessarily know. Mm -hmm. um, That's also true. So there have been estimates of, of how big a deal is this. We know it's a big deal. Mm -hmm. What we don't know is how many of those errors truly were preventable errors, yes. how many were based on an underlying health issue that got away from the person taking care of them. Mm -hmm. um, so, it, like I said, it's difficult to verify for the entire United States, mm -hmm. but we know that medical errors cost millions of dollars every year yes. in healthcare, yep. and they lead to deaths, and those are called excess deaths. Mm -hmm. We just don't really know how many. So that's a medical error. Mm -hmm. A medical error that causes harm creates an adverse outcome. Um, and an adverse outcome is any event that doesn't lead to the desired result. So I'm caring for someone during a pregnancy and the person who takes the call from my practice in the middle of the night, when she says I'm cramping, doesn't say, why don't you come in and let us check, which mm -hmm. was rule one in our practice, mm -hmm. um, but says, oh, I'm sure it's all right, drink some water and go back to bed. Mm. And then she comes in and it's far enough along that we may not be able to stop a preterm labor. Mm -hmm. Okay, that's an adverse outcome. It's actually a preventable adverse outcome yes. in that we ignored the first symptom. Yeah. Could we have stopped it? Maybe, maybe not, but we could have done something. Mm -hmm. So that's that's an example of an adverse outcome. Yeah. Uh, an infection after a cesarean is an adverse outcome. Mm -hmm. So some of them are preventable, some of them aren't. When they're not preventable, when they are preventable, or when their preventability could have been anticipated mm -hmm. in some prior step, such as saying, come in and let us make sure everything's okay, mm -hmm. then that's negligence. Mm -hmm. And negligence is when you might have guessed something was gonna go wrong and but you did nothing to, to decrease the risk. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about or compare medical malpractice versus liability? Okay. Liability is a term that gets used as a synonym for malpractice, mm -hmm. but liability is what happens when things don't go the way you expect them to, or the outcome is not what the family expected, mm -hmm. and they need an explanation, and in our healthcare system, well, that's why too. we all carry liability insurance. But mm -hmm. malpractice requires four things. You have a duty to treat. Mm -hmm. So if you stop me in the hall out there and ask me a question and I say, well, you know, I'm not your midwife, but you might look at this mm -hmm. or call your provider and ask that. I don't have a duty to you because it's yes. a social meeting. Yes. If you see me in my office, That's I a have different a duty situation. to treat. Yeah. Right. Um, the care has to be negligent. 
in other words, below the standard of care. Mm -hmm. And standard of care is perfect care. It's a minimum standard that is what you would expect anybody with the level of knowledge you have to, to do. Obtain, yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, sort of your core knowledge. Yeah. Um, and then that negligent care has to cause the injury that has happened, mm -hmm. and the injury has to result in damage. So, to use an experience that I mercifully never had, um, if a baby is born and, and the best way to say it is sticks on the way out mm -hmm. because the shoulder has impinged itself mm -hmm. and it takes extra maneuvers to safely deliver that baby, mm -hmm. there may be damage to the nerves in the shoulder. Yes. Most times with what we know and physical therapy, it goes mm -hmm. away. Mm -hmm. Occasionally it does not. Okay, that's an adverse outcome. There However, it's still better than what could have happened had you not. Well, the reality is if you don't get the baby out, it dies. And I have seen that happen once in 40 years. I'm sorry. And it was difficult I'm to sure. know that that had happened. Um, and it was a good health provider. So it, it it's tough. technically preventable, but yeah. So is it malpractice? I don't know. Is it, is it something you're liable for? Yes. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. um, and, and you have to remember that these three things, medical liability and adverse outcomes, and malpractice and error all tangle themselves together and in our healthcare system, mm -hmm. even after the ACA expanded care in 2010, the Affordable Care Act, which actually has a longer name, mm -hmm. um, there often is not the money to provide long-term care for healing, mm -hmm. um, to buy the van that a disabled child needs because of a birth event or a birth defect that was not detected. Mm -hmm. um, and that liability insurance sometimes is the only deep pocket. And in our current world, after especially after the COVID pandemic, that issue has even gotten worse. There's no beds out there. There's no... There still aren't any there, there, Yeah, there currently isn't. Like, there's... That is a looming issue that is only getting worse. Um, we can talk about that in a minute because yeah. um, so sometimes sue because they're stuck with this liability they don't know another way to pay for it and they mm -hmm. know they need the help yeah. sometimes people are angry which often has to do with what, a how good a job of communicating we did mm -hmm. um, and sometimes they didn't receive good information and there are reasons for that that we'll talk about later mm -hmm. so Thinking of malpractice, if I could just keep going off. Yeah, of here. course. <laughs> um, um, the thing with malpractice is that there are lots of proposed reasons. Um, some of them are lack of education or training on the part of a provider who really should have known to do something mm -hmm. and didn't do it. Didn't do it. Yeah. Um, but it's often a systems issue. Hmm. Um, so if the system supports clinicians in making good decisions, mm -hmm. 
whether that's prompts in an electronic medical record mm -hmm. or having two people check the most risky drugs before mm -hmm. they give them, mm -hmm. or any number of different things that increase the likelihood of a good outcome, um, if those things don't happen, then you have an increased risk of, of liability and or malpractice because yeah. the system broke. Yes. Um, and there's actually another one that's turning up more and more, and that's burnout. Um, mm. And this was studied even before the pandemic, mm -hmm. that if clinicians are, and this is physicians and midwives and nurse practitioners and PAs and nurses, mm -hmm. if you are overworked, understaffed, not provided the correct equipment, it can be really hard to maintain your empathy and your diagnostic acuity. And that's understandable, not just in the medical field, but in any field, if someone's overworked or something like that, but especially in the medical field, that poses a greater issue. It's understandable, but it poses a crisis in healthcare. For sure. Because conditions in which you work are what make the difference. Mm -hmm. So, 100%. Um, Do you feel that there is a particular area of medicine heavily impacted by the medical malpractice epidemic? And if so, which one? You find <laughs> different lists, and which to a certain extent is who got asked and what criterion are we going by. Mm -hmm. For example, payouts are very high in OBGYN, and it, OBGYN including midwifery, okay, yes. globally. Yeah. Um, because it's a birth. And everybody team. has their imagined perfect child mm -hmm. right up until you put that baby in their arms. Yeah. And when things go wrong, it's hurt. It, it, it's you're not breaking something you already know, you're breaking a perfection that you Life only imagined. doesn't give us once the baby yeah. gets here. Yeah. Um, surgery, particularly the subspecialties like neurosurgery are mm -hmm. often mentioned. Mm -hmm. Anesthesiology is often mentioned. Mm -hmm. Emergency room and trauma are often oh, mentioned. Yes. Now, if you think about what all of those people have in common, and I would say intensivists as well, although that's not listed as often. Mm -hmm. Because if you think about what all of us have in common, including the OBGYNs and midwives, mm -hmm. is that we are working in fast changing yes. environments mm -hmm. or in very- Stressful and high- Well, it, it's high not even place. stressful necessarily so much as you have, there's not as much room for error. Mm -hmm. I think about an emergency room, people come through the door, you have to triage. Mm -hmm. You have to, I don't want to say guess right because that's not fair, but you have to make good, Quick decisions. accurate, fast clinical judgments yes. for what to do first. Mm -hmm. um, the same is true in, in OB. If somebody comes into our triage room, we don't necessarily have very long to figure out, is this something that requires reassurance mm -hmm. or treatment, or is this something we have to address right, right away. now? Mm -hmm. Um, and you just, you never know what's coming through that door. That's, for me personally, as someone who wants to go into medicine, <laughs> that brings me, that rush brings me joy <laughs> and excitement, but being in that, I can't imagine how stressful that must be and how much 
in a way the pressure that you have to not mess up because you have a patient's life in your hand. Yeah, well, all of us do. <laughs> yes, Anybody everyone. Who does healthcare has somebody's life in their hands. Yes. But it comes back to that team and that support. Yes. And those resources for how likely are you to effect a good first decision. Mm -hmm. And one of the misconceptions that I think people have about malpractice is that it's on the clinician or it's on the healthcare professional, but there's a lot of factors like you mentioned earlier, like the technology available to you, or if you're overworked, the factors, mm -hmm. the environmental factors that are affecting you that impact the way you perform. Mm -hmm. So that's great um, to shed light to that. What do you think is the greatest challenge midwives face around this issue? Around the issue of liability and malpractice? Yes, and you kind of touched on this. Um, just for to us, it's definitely birth and pregnancy complications. Mm -hmm. Whereas for our physician colleagues, um, more complex surgeries mm -hmm. increase their risk. The fact that the very most at-risk patients, we're going to hand them to care for, mm -hmm. both during pregnancy and during GYN care. Mm -hmm. um, misdiagnosis is common. Um, mm -hmm. Think about, and I'm going to go back to that, if only. Yes. Um, one of the first things that I was taught by a breast surgeon I worked with was, mm -hmm. if you feel a lump, don't worry about whether it's cancer, order the test, send them to me. Mm -hmm. And she was like, I don't care how many normal breasts I see, mm -hmm. I don't want to miss the cancer. Yes. Um, and you, you sort of have to get into that mentality. If you miss it, if the lab's slip doesn't come back and you forget that you ordered it, and somebody has a urinary infection, and they end up with a kidney infection, mm -hmm. well, that's on you. Mm -hmm. It's a misdiagnosis. Yeah. It's more commonly birth events or pregnancy events, mm -hmm. only because for most of us, that's the bulk of what we do. Yes, yeah. Um, sometimes it comes, and I'm, I'm gonna try to say this carefully, Scope of practice is everything someone can do within their education and training. Mm -hmm. So my professional organization defines my scope of practice. Yes. What I have been educated to do or can learn to do after finishing school. Mm -hmm. Some people learn colposcopy. Some people learn first assistant surgery. Some people work in a high risk area. Mm -hmm. Different kinds of things that you can do, but there is a scope. If you wander out of that scope of practice and cannot reach. demonstrate that you have the education and training to do what you are doing, mm -hmm. you're way more at risk. Mm -hmm. So, um, and our scopes overlap. Midwives and OBs and even maternal fetal medicine doctors. There are things all three of us do the same way. Mm -hmm. um, and there are things we do differently. It's always been a fib that midwives only took care of low-risk women. It's never been true. Mm. I'm glad we're debunking that right now. <laughs> well, I mean, most of the people we take care of are because they're the people who want what midwives offer. Yeah. Which is a focus on normal, a mm -hmm. focus on health, a focus on what you need to achieve your goals in this. Mm -hmm. Um, and I'm not suggesting that my physician 
friends don't care about those things, yes. but they're looking at it from a different angle. Yes. Um, Definitely. Some of us find things that become passion projects for us. I know midwives who do reproductive endocrine care. I know midwives who take care of diabetics, which is not a thing I wish to do very <laughs> much. I mean, I can, I know how, but I'm not going to voluntarily but do what do you're it. passionate about. Um, you do what you're passionate about, and yeah. for most of us, it's babies. <laughs> <laughs> They're so cute. Um, how old are your children? Um, my children are 46 and 48 this year. You do not look that old at all. Oh, thank you. But, uh, I am. <laughs> do you have grandchildren? I have one, and he is 100% more children than I expected to have. <laughs> grandchildren than I expected to have. Um, and I'm very fortunate in my family. So, and I have a goddaughter who's my daughter's age. Ready, <laughs> staying focused because we got a little derailed. That's okay. Um, during your work, what standards um, did your practice implement to train its staff and avoid malpractice? Is it something that was frequently discussed? At this point, it's discussed in every practice with a grain of sense. Mm -hmm. um, starting back in the 80s, and it actually came out of the airline industry and the military, a focus on quality prevention and error reduction. Mm -hmm. And we started things like tracking processes and trying to identify what's the cause of what a breakdown in that process. Yeah. And it expanded into how do you manage the risk associated with this practice? Mm -hmm. How do you improve the quality of patient care? And now mostly we talk about patient safety. Mm -hmm. um, and this is another one of those team sports, just like anything else that we do in healthcare. Mm -hmm. Um, so there are things that become policies, um, for example, the Maryland, Maryland Perinatal Collaborative, um, a few years ago, right before I retired, mm -hmm. managed to get every hospital in the state to sign on to no elective births before 37 weeks. Mm -hmm. 37 weeks is the beginning of term. Mm -hmm. So you don't want to schedule an induction before that time. or a cesarean for a healthy person until after that date, mm -hmm. by the best data you can get. Mm -hmm. But people would push it a few days because I mm. want Dr. So-and-so to deliver my baby, or, mm -hmm. well, you know, my day I'll call is this, so why don't you come in the night before? And it would creep back a little bit. Or yeah. people would say, oh, you know, there's always so much error mm -hmm. in dating, and so we'll just call it this. Mm -hmm. And that led to what's called iatrogenic prematurity, things that we caused by not following a simple rule. Mm -hmm. um, so we ended up with a statewide policy that said no intentional births before 37 weeks. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you have hospital procedure lists. There are checklists for any surgical procedure, including yes. surgical childbirth. Mm -hmm. You know, are we in the right place? Do we have the right person? Do we know what we're doing? Mm -hmm. You know, do we have all the equipment we need? And those things reduce risk because right person, right time, right body Everything part. has to line up. Um, not a problem in OB usually, but uh, in many surgeries, that is you 
don't want to remove the wrong ovary. I, in my research about this stuff, I came across many cases where a wrong limb was removed That's or correct. something, the wrong side of the body was operated on. And I was like, okay. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> That's and, a little. And it's not intentional, but yes. that is negligence. And Definitely. one way to prevent negligence is to have a checklist. Mm -hmm. um, Anesthesiologists have a checklist too before mm -hmm. they give you medicine to numb you or to put you to sleep to mm -hmm. make sure they know what they're doing. Mm -hmm. um, and we do simulation drills. Okay, the big risks at birth besides prematurity are things like shoulder dystocia and hemorrhage mm -hmm. and an unexpected birth that's not head first, mm -hmm. which is vanishingly uncommon now, but when I trained, how to deliver a breech baby mm -hmm. was part of the drill because mm -hmm. we didn't have ultrasounds to tell us where the baby was. Mm. And that your hands are good and they get better with practice. But they can only tell you so much. Um, you can turn an ultrasound upside down, too, if you try hard enough. Mm. <laughs> so we do teach that part, too. Mm. <laughs> Which way are you looking? Yeah. Um, and so those are, are things that we do. We do simulation drills for shoulder dystocia. We do simulation drills for bleeding, for resuscitation. Mm -hmm. All the things that are high urgency, impact and you don't have time to go look the answer up. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we, the Maryland Patient Safety Initiatives have done a lot of good things for us that way. Mm -hmm. um, and then there are system-wide risk management committees. University of Maryland Medical System, where I retired, mm -hmm. has a system-wide OB patient safety committee. Mm. So all of our hospitals talk together mm -hmm. about resources, about best practices, mm -hmm. so that whatever that hospital you're in, they either have a safe standard mm -hmm. or they know who to call to get a higher level of care. Mm -hmm. um, so those are, you know, those are things that you can work on and that pretty much everybody I know does. Mm -hmm. um, because it makes sense. It's necessary. Like it's necessary. It's not something that it's not something we used to understand as necessary mm -hmm. in the same way that we do now. But that's how you build better skills. As you learn, that's how you learn. Yeah. Um, you notice what went wrong, and you think, "How could I prevent that?" Mm -hmm. um, it's it's honestly. Like, you know how little kids learn when they fall and they get hurt, and they're like, oh, I won't do that again. Correct. It's, it seems like a stupid little analogy, but it's the same concept here, that you learn from the mistakes, and over time, as our healthcare system is developed, that's what we've done. And it's more complex than it used to be. Mm -hmm. um, you know, when I was growing up, you saw a general physician. Mm -hmm. Now you would see a family practice doctor or an internist. A cardiologist, or maybe a rheumatologist, or maybe an asthma and allergy doctor, and you, There's with just every so one of those extensions, you increase the risk of a poor communication. And in mm -hmm. fact, communication, spoken and written, is one of the biggest risks mm -hmm. for liability, for negligence, for 
medical errors of all kinds. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Um, shifting gears a little bit. Um, how do demographic and socioeconomic factors affect risks of substandard care? Um, part of it is access. And the example I tend to use is the closure of safety net hospitals. Um, if, you, if you don't have a physician in town or a nurse practitioner or anybody to mm -hmm. provide basic care, mm -hmm. that's kind of obvious that there's yes, a lack of care. For sure. yeah. But when a small hospital closes, you can be hundreds of miles, yes. especially if you're like in West Texas mm -hmm. or some of the larger Western states, you can be a long way from the next available mm -hmm. provider. So just rurality can be an issue. Mm -hmm. But in Philadelphia, four years ago, five years ago, Hahnemann Hospital closed, and Hahnemann had been the safety net hospital. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden, there were a lot of people with no place to go mm -hmm. in the middle of a city that is as full of hospitals as the D.C. Baltimore metro region is. Mm -hmm. um, so, I mean, that was a huge impact on access to care. Mm -hmm. And it was predominantly those with the least access. Mm -hmm. that got and, you know, culture and ethnicity and race can play an issue into it. Mm -hmm. We know, for example, that African Americans are often better cared for because they have a better relationship with a physician who is also African American. Mm -hmm. Does that have to be the case? No. But if you're not sure what lesions look like on black skin, and mm. you're a white dermatologist and young mm -hmm. and haven't seen many people, it might be easier to miss something. Yeah. Um, if you're, you know, okay, this is a Baltimore thing, but I'm going to say it. Do you know about the Tuskegee experiment in the 30s or 40s? A little bit, yeah. Okay. So, in a procedure that was legal and considered acceptable at that time, mm -hmm. there was a natural experiment on the course of syphilis by treating or not treating groups and seeing what happened. Mm -hmm. That is so incredibly unethical yes. by just about standards say. for at least the last 50 to 60 years. Yeah. Um, and by the way, is one of the reasons that we often don't have randomized controlled trials now mm -hmm. on some of the most important questions, because you can't. That's ethically. not correct, yeah. Um, but at the time, it happened. Mm -hmm. And up until the time I retired, I still met people. And I was doing some research in my clinic with a team mm -hmm. to whom I could not use the word experiment. <laughs> I mean, it was, wow. it really was a trigger yeah. for a societal injury. Yeah. Um, you know, and... It was really bad. It, it was difficult. Mm -hmm. um, there are many other examples across the country. I am not trying to pick out Baltimore. Yeah, yeah. Um, at the other end of the spectrum, Baltimore was the very first place in the country to do directly observed therapy for tuberculosis. Um, so, you know, good There's and bad. There's good and bad everywhere. And, and we learn from our mistakes. Yes. Um, so, poverty, race, 
distrust of the healthcare system for whatever reason, reason. Yeah. Um, you meet people who are like, well, I'm not going to that hospital. And you're thinking, why not? It's a great hospital. And you're like, my I grandmother don't trust died it. there. So I don't want to go there because my grandmother died there. Mm -hmm. Okay. Understand. But it, yeah, but you know, we don't have perfect parity between clinicians and patients. And we never will. Mm -hmm. Well, maybe we will, but not in my lifetime. <laughs> um, and maybe not even in yours, because in other ways it would be as unbalanced if every clinician in the clinic that I worked in at Maryland mm -hmm. was African American. As, I mean, diversity is important. But you, you need to, have to a know that people who don't look like you still care what happens to you, which is sort of the basis of communication. Mm -hmm. um, so those are those are some of the examples mm -hmm. of how you know a mismatch in terms of style. Another big one actually is language barriers. Mm. Um, that somebody will say, "Well, they're a very poor historian." Well, who was translating for? And did somebody ask in a culturally correct way? Um, so if you come from an indigenous population who believes strongly in herbal medicine, mm -hmm. take this pill mm. is not a sufficient explanation of why you really need to take this antibiotic. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So. And the pseudosciences and all these like herbal medicine and the, there's a bunch not, out yeah. there they're not but there's a bridge of like understanding and in the healthcare professional providing you with the knowledge of why you should do it and their understanding of the evidence behind it and why they really need it mm -hmm. and sometimes vetting and saying yeah that that's a safe thing for you to try mm -hmm. ginger for nausea in early pregnancy it works as well as pretty much as well as any medicine I know unless it's really severe. Mm -hmm. Sometimes these things do work. <laughs> Many times things work. Mm -hmm. You know, you just you have, have to, trust. to be open to listening to why people want to do something. Mm -hmm. Alrighty. Wrapping up, what is one piece of advice you would like to give citizens that we could use to keep ourselves safe in a healthcare setting? Or more than one. But <laughs> it all comes back to that topic of communication. Mm -hmm. Patients have rights. One of those rights is to understand what they were told, mm -hmm. to be able to ask questions until they are comfortable with what they understand, mm -hmm. to say, can I get a second opinion before I commit to that procedure, mm -hmm. or even you don't have to say, can I? It's like, I want a second. You're telling me you need to take my kidney out. Can I have a second opinion, please? That's understandable. It's, it's a big decision. Also, yeah, it's also a patient's right to say, I need to see a different clinician. This is not working. Yes. People feel intimidated by the white coat, by the education, by whatever. Mm -hmm. And they don't say, hold on, doctor. I am so sorry, but I didn't understand a word of what you said. Mm-hmm. Um, and in part, isn't it the healthcare professionals 
yes. responsibility to it, explain in a way that is understandable to a layman? It is. And, and to keep going at it until they have understood it. That they're comfortable they're on comfortable. both sides. Yeah. Now, productivity standards make it really hard to do that in short office visits. Yes. Many of us are not given the time to send. So maybe we use the nurse we work with mm -hmm. or a peer counselor. Mm -hmm. But at the bottom line is it's my responsibility, responsibility. Yeah. to make sure that you understand and agree with mm -hmm. what I'm asking you to do. Mm -hmm. And if there really is only one choice that you you have confidence that I'm not saying that to you because it's the easiest thing for me to do. Mm -hmm. I, that's, that's the whole thing right there. Mm -hmm. The other person in the room also has rights. Yes. And has the authority to say, I'm sorry, I don't understand that. I'm sitting here until I do. Mm -hmm. um, and that kind of patient confidence is really important for not only the patient's protection, but their comfort oh. and their families. And you know what? You're a lot less likely to get sued if you and the person you're caring mm -hmm. are on the same page. Yes. Because then you can explain to them afterwards, this is what happened, this is what we did, it was the best we could do under the circumstances. Yeah. Um, makes a world of difference. Mm -hmm. It really does. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, the, there's not just one power gradient mm -hmm. in, a, in a relationship. Mm -hmm. Everybody needs to know. Yes, you have a right to understand. Mm -hmm. You have a right to agree or not. Mm -hmm. All righty. Before we close off, I want to give you another big thank you for joining me in this episode today. I can confidently say that I have learned a lot and hope that our listeners have as well. So thanks again. You are more than welcome. It was a pleasure. Thank you. Um, and with that, this is the end of this episode. Stay tuned to join me for the next one.